Hello and welcome to the very first edition of Tech Shock from Parent Zone, the podcast that looks at how digital technology is affecting family life and explains its mysteries to parents, teachers, professionals and policymakers. I'm Vicky Shotbolt and I'm the CEO of Parent Zone. And I'm Geraldine Bedell, and I'm the executive editor of Parent Zone. We're going to be discussing a different issue each week, and we're starting off this week by looking at a platform that's just been growing and growing and asking, are children creating porn online? Vicky, I think you first became aware of OnlyFans. How did that happen? One of the very few upsides of the pandemic for me was having my son home from university for an extended period with his girlfriend. And as you can imagine, in our house, we talk a lot about online harms and and different platforms. And it was actually them that said OnlyFans is a platform that you should take a closer look at because I think the word they used was sketchy. It's a really sketchy platform. And so we did. And I have to say, I agree with them. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose we should explain what it is, OnlyFans. It was founded in 2016. And it's really taken off during the COVID period. In May this year, they claimed they had 24 million registered users. And the CEO and founder, who's a man called Timothy Stokely, said 200,000 viewers were joining every 24 hours during lockdown. And there were also between 7,000 and 8,000 new content creators joining every day. And it was also boosted by a lot of celebrity activity. Beyonce mentioned OnlyFans in some song lyrics and Tiger, who's Kylie Jenner's ex-boyfriend, has been a big figure on the site. And then Bella Thorne, the Disney actress, joined and claimed she made a million dollars on her first day and two million in her first month. And she was allegedly charging $200 a time for nude photos. The reason we're interested in it, I suppose, is that there's evidence that a high proportion of people advertising nudes for sale and directing their followers to only fans. It's really easy to see with, with numbers like that being claimed for earnings for celebrities, why it would be an attractive thing for young people to do. We did some investigation of our own into OnlyFans and one of the very first things that you notice about it is that there isn't any age verification. You can sign up. And there's no requirement to prove that you're only 18 to open an account. Different if you want to then go on to actually become a creator on the platform. But there are those really two sides to the issue that we're concerned about. One is as a creator who wants to generate income from selling nudes, but also as an underage consumer of that kind of graphic content. I've heard one commentator describe these sort of platforms as gig economy extremism, which I think is a really nice way of thinking about it. It starts from a a relatively good place, which is recognising that people that create their own content ought to be paid for it. And the idea of the, the functionality that's in stream payments allows people to get paid for their work, which is, you know, a, a fantastic thing. However, when you take that model and individuals start using it to generate sexually explicit content and you add in that element of paying for more extreme acts and and you end up with a platform that's really quite problematic and incredibly lucrative for the person that owns a platform. So the way this works is that on OnlyFans, the creators get 80% of any income 
and the platform takes 20% of it. Yeah, and it's largely used for pornography. The site claims that it's a great place for personal trainers and makeup artists and musicians and so on. And it is true that those people are there. Timothy Stokely has acknowledged that about 50% of the creators are selling adult content. With 450,000 creators, that's a heck of a lot of porn. It is, yeah. And I think it's probably no accident because Stokely previously ran a BDSM and fetish site called Glam Worship. And it's quite murky, the OnlyFans setup. Um, Even Wikipedia says little is known about the parent company, which is controlled by someone called Leonid Radvinsky, who acquired 75% of it in October 2018. And so the fact that it's so opaque makes it difficult to talk about. But interestingly, I think one of the sort of quirky things about it is that not all the pornography that's being generated on there is that extreme. No, and but I think that word that you used is the perfect word for it. It is so opaque. And I'm thinking about this now as a parent wearing my, my parent goggles and thinking how impossible it is to have any oversight of of the experience of a young user, either as a creator or a consumer. And what creators say is that the more eccentric, the weirder, the more extreme things are the ones that make the most money. So they might not be the only things on there, but they're definitely the things that that attract a lot of money. And, And that's absolutely consistent with this idea of persuasive tech design, that you build the tech in a way that encourages certain behaviors. And it seems to me that that what OnlyFans has done really well is encourage the sharing of explicit images and, and incentivize more extreme content. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I guess it's a sort of problematic thing, this in-stream payments, because on the one hand, you've got something like Patreon, you know, which supports quite a lot of podcasts, which we're all in favor of, obviously. And then you've also got sites like Fan Center and Admire Me, and Admire Me is out-and-out pornography. So it's tricky. And of course, these sites have also been welcomed by quite a lot of sex workers who say, well, it cuts out the studios and the corporations that were making money on the basis of our work and who were exploiting us and actually being in direct contact, not contact literally, but being in touch with our consumers makes it much better for us. So there has been a pushback against figures, celebrity figures like Bella Thorne, who was attacked really in the media for taking away the livelihood of sex workers by going on the platform and making more money when she's already rich. It's fair enough. And I I don't think you or I, Geraldine, would for one moment say that there's anything, you know, fundamentally wrong with a sex worker having control of their own work, empowering a community that's traditionally very disempowered, you could easily follow that thread through and say that that wasn't a bad thing. But that's not really what we're talking about here. I I don't think. I think there's a much bigger problem. I think there are many, many big problems with it, actually. But one of the big problems is that a platform like OnlyFans has lots of potential for underage users. And, you know, so we're not talking about adults who've made a conscious decision to go into sex work. We're talking about the grooming of young people into a choice that they might not otherwise have made. And and that, for me, is incredibly problematic. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. And I suppose we should say at this point that OnlyFans said in May 2019 that it had significantly upgraded its age and ID verification process. And you now have to provide a selfie alongside your ID, also with a with a photograph. And they say that that has eliminated the heavy use or the use of the platform by underage creators. As you say, it's not just the issue of the creators, but that's their position at the moment. Which unfortunately is just not really good enough, is it? You know, to say that you have to provide an ID, we know that it's not difficult for young people to get fake IDs. It's not a robust independent third-party age verification system and of course it's not audited I mean one of the problems with with many platforms but particularly platforms like this is that they don't have any transparent auditing of what's going on on their platforms so they might say that they've got better at doing age verification and that they know who their users are but it's impossible to know that that's true and it's very hard to believe that it's the case. Yeah. And speaking as someone whose children have all had fake IDs at various times, which they've obtained without my knowledge or say so, I think it's ridiculous to assume that an ID can give you that kind of protection. And of course, famously, they don't have to do this. Platforms are not publishers. And legally, that means there's no requirement for them to monitor explicit content that could have originated from an underage user. So they're sort of technically off the hook. To some extent, of course, but the sharing of nude images for people who are under 18 is illegal. And I think it's probably important for us to make a really, really clear distinction here between talking about child sexual abuse and talking about young people, older young people probably, who are generating explicit content. So it is illegal. There's already a law that says that it's an offence to make, distribute, possess or show indecent images of anyone under the age of 18. And actually both the creator and the viewer who would be liable if any underage content comes to light and on most platforms, take a lot of trouble to make sure that they are removing child sexual abuse images. I think for me, in a way, that's one of the reasons that this question of age verification is so troubling on OnlyFans, because OnlyFans are not exercising due care over potentially minors doing something that is already illegal. No, that's right. But are the police likely to prosecute? Because any underage person who's involved in this is both the victim and the perpetrator. And it's a very grey area. I mean, the platform is not technically responsible, although, as you say, it may be morally responsible and culpable in all sorts of other ways. But, you know, presumably the police are not going to go around arresting children of 15 and 16. No, but it is, it's complicated. It's really complicated. So the situation is that it is illegal and, you know, that's not complicated at all. It's illegal for minors to be sharing or for anybody to be viewing images of underage content. That said, there is something called Outcome 21, which means that if a police officer becomes aware of the fact that a young person has shared an image in the context of a relationship, so this, you know, romantic image, girlfriend, boyfriend, both consensual, 
it is possible for the police not to prosecute. They can they can note that down as an outcome 21, and, and actually, although it is still technically against the law, it's not going to result in a prosecution of those two young people. The point here is that context is everything. The context of two young people who consensually share romantic images between themselves is incredibly different to a young person who's producing images for financial gain and you know that's what this platform is encouraging it's not neutral in this the platform is actually encouraging young people to do that sure sure now a home office spokesman told the bbc when they did their documentary that there were plans for the platform to monitor this content and make sure that it doesn't happen in future then they went on to talk about the online harms white paper, which refers repeatedly to a duty of care. Now, I think you have strong views about this duty of care phrase, don't you? I have really strong views about the duty of care <laughs> phrase, I'm afraid. And fundamentally, of course, the duty of care that has been proposed under the online harms white paper has some merits. It's, it's a systemic approach to a duty of care. So in other words, it's saying... You as a platform have to look at your platform and continually assess whether or not you're doing what you need to do in order to exercise care to your users. And you can see how that kind of works on a platform where you're talking about something like cyberbullying. So if you're one of the big platforms and you become aware of the fact that there's a lot of cyberbullying going on on your platform, then it's your responsibility under the duty of care to make systemic changes to try and encourage a more positive environment on your platform. So far, so good. What it's not is a duty of care to an individual. So if you as an individual experience harm, this duty of care in the online harms white paper won't really help you. I mean, it doesn't apply. How can you possibly apply a duty of care to a platform like OnlyFans? It's kind of difficult to conceive of how that would even work. And the point is, I suppose, as well, that it's still not law anyway. And there are lots of problems with the white paper, which may have something to do with the fact that it's taking so long to bring it in front of Parliament. And no doubt we'll look at some of those in a future podcast. But in the meantime, that means all we have is this attempt by OnlyFans to restrict underage creators. That's all we can rely on. It is really all all that we can rely on. And, And actually, it brings to mind the fact that we have had legislation that's supposed to introduce age verification for traditional pornography sites and that still hasn't been put into action. We still have a situation where there isn't a robust age verification on porn sites that are out there, you know, labelled porn sites that we know young people are accessing. And there are all sorts of reasons for that. They'd appointed a regulator, uh, the porn industry was ready to implement age verification, but government press pause on putting it into action and of course if they can't do it for porn sites that we all know and recognize as porn sites it's difficult to see that they're going to do it for a site like OnlyFans. I mean obviously the real issue here is underage users but speaking as a parent I wouldn't be fantastically happy if my college age daughter were using OnlyFans to make money to help her pay her way through university. I think there's a real problem with this because the white paper talks a lot about trying to regulate the internet when things are legal but still harmful But that differs for everyone and in different circumstances. We're not all agreed about what's harmful. So 
we enter a very kind of grey area. You really do. And you end up with very vague positions and, and very contested positions and questions around freedom of speech and, and to what extent you want government deciding what's undesirable as opposed to defining what's legal and what's illegal. Well, it's not technically illegal for a 21-year-old to pay her way through college by being on OnlyFans. But I think for society, the question has to be, is it desirable? And, you know, I'm fairly sure as a parent, your answer would be no. That's not a society that we want young women growing up into. Is the law actually going to stop that? And if it tried, would it be contested as a way of, you know, taking away a, a woman's right to choose what she does? It's a really, really difficult one. It is really difficult. And I think partly your attitude to only fans, one's attitude to only fans, sort of depends on your attitude to sex work generally. And there are two schools of thought about that, I think, broadly. And one is that it's empowering and that women shouldn't be stopped from choosing this line of work and it shouldn't be censured or stigmatised. And then the other is that it's exploitative and it's a commodification of women. And the underlying assumption behind it is that women are what they look like. And that says something a bit bleak about the world, if this is the best way for young women to make money. It's the sharp end and the inevitable conclusion of patriarchy. I do come back to this point about technology not being neutral and it being designed to encourage some certain behaviours. And and that, for me, makes this debate slightly different. I think I, you know, I, I agree with you. There are these fairly polarised debates around whether sex work is something that's empowering or whether it's exploitative. But I think when you put technology into the middle of that and the technology starts to add to the exploitation by encouraging more extreme acts, then I think you know, you're, in, you're into a, a slightly different place. And I think there's something else that's interesting about OnlyFans and, and the kind of legality of it is that if, if you applied the offline context, well, in the UK, running a brothel is illegal. Soliciting sex is illegal. So you would think, or I would think, that advertising sex work on Twitter, how can that be legal? And that's something parents say to us all the time when there's stuff happening to their young people that in the offline world would be dealt with because it's already recognised as illegal. And this certainly happened when we were thinking about gambling. If you apply an offline context to OnlyFans, it seems to me that there are big aspects of it that we've already decided ought to be illegal. I think that's a really good point. And I think that everybody wants to see technology as simply tools as a something entirely neutral. And of course, it's in the tech companies' interests to do that. But it's a bit like saying that when people say, oh, guns don't kill people, it's people who kill people. Well, that's not really true, because the point is that when you have a gun in your hand and the tacit license to use it, you become a different person. And platforms have to take some of the responsibility for the relationships that they create and promote. And actually, they're not neutral and they are about facilitating and enabling relationships. And it's those relationships that we need to look at and focus on. I absolutely agree. I heard it described really well by somebody the other day who said that you can think of technology as a tool, but but social media platforms, for example, don't quite fit into the tool definition. You don't find your television 
blinking at you and sending an alert saying you haven't watched your favorite series for half an hour, turn it back on. It just sits there waiting for you to go and use it. Whereas with these platforms, they proactively encourage you to keep using them and to adapt your behavior in ways that encourage more followers or more money or whatever it, whatever the mechanic might be that stimulates use. And in the case of OnlyFans, we're talking about a lot of money. So BBC Three interviewed a 17-year-old who signed up at 16 and was making fifteen to twenty thousand pounds a month. And you know, that's a lot of money, whatever age you are. And that brings us back to this structural question of is this a good position to put people into to make available and also in some sense desirable? And unfortunately, you and I are not yet in a position to be able to change the structure of the world. But what would you do if you could wave a magic wand? Oh, it'd be nice, wouldn't it, to be able to wave a magic wand? I think accepting that that I don't have one, one thing that I would do is to apply some of that offline context to online problems that we're already familiar with. So If we know that soliciting is something that's illegal in the offline world, then I think we ought to be much more robust, not not constantly trying to look for new legislation, but much more robust in making sure that existing legislation is applied. That would be one thing that I would do. The other thing, and I say it's always a bit weaselly when when you say this, because it's such it feels it sounds like such a kind of throwaway, but I do think it's really important that we have a better discussion about these topics and that there's more awareness of it. Because I go back to my point that I made right at the beginning. Had I not spent a load of time during lockdown chatting to two 21-year-olds for whom this is, you know, these sort of platforms are very familiar to them, I'd have known nothing about them. And we have to get to a point where what's happening online for young people is less opaque. What would you do? Well, much the same, really. I think that there's a tendency to sort of reach for legislative answers. There's a tendency to think, oh, the platforms are out of control. We better bring in some laws or some sort of design codes or something to sort them out. And actually, it's not really about that. It is about the relationships that we have, both with the tech and through the tech. And it's about social norms, as you say. So actually, we need a discussion that's much more wide ranging about what we think is desirable and how we want to live in this world that's sort of come upon us and that we're flailing our way through. I absolutely agree. And I think what I've tended to see a lot in this space is an enormous amount of focus on much younger children, 13-year-olds and under. And I think that's absolutely right and proper and really, really important. Where we're starting to talk about platforms like OnlyFans and legislation like the online harms white paper, we have to start addressing that question of what sort of world we want teenagers and young people to be part of and recognise that we can't restrict access to everything and we can't stop them using the internet. So how do we build an internet that's good for everybody, that is a nice place, a nice society that we all want to be part of? Yeah, I fear that involves sorting out an awful lot of other things as well, but that would be a good thing too. Maybe a magic wand? (laughs) So in the absence of this magic wand, what advice would you give parents about OnlyFans at this point? The only advice that I can really give to parents is to make sure that they are having conversations with their children about the platforms that they're using, why they're using them, 
and to be open enough to have a conversation about pornography. And that is desperately difficult for parents. It's difficult for young people. Nobody wants to talk to their parents about porn. Except they do. And, you know, I know that to be the case from talking to my own son and to young, thoughtful teenagers who have opinions about these platforms. And if you give them space to air those opinions, you can learn an awful lot about them. So I think that's pretty much it for this week's podcast for OnlyFans. From next week, we're going to be encouraging people to send in questions about families and tech, and we'll be dealing with some of those at the end of the podcast. So please send us your questions, either at the Parents' Own Twitter account, on Facebook, or by email. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate the podcast. And next week's podcast is going to ask, can age gating the internet ever work? We're going to be talking to John Carr, an advisor to the UN, the EU and the UK government, and a long-time campaigner for age-appropriate design. Almost exactly this time last year, the UK dropped plans to ensure users of pornography sites were over 18 following pushback from privacy campaigners and what they described as technical troubles. Yet both the government's online harms white paper, which we referred to earlier, and a new age-appropriate design code from the Information Commissioner's Office depend on knowing who's using what platforms and services. So we're going to be asking John whether it can work and what it will take. My name is Vicky Shotbolt. And my name is Geraldine Bedell. And you've been listening to Tech Shock from Parents Zone.